you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father God, we do thank you this morning that it is well with our soul. No matter what feelings come or what feelings go, we know in you it is well with our soul, Father. And we just ask you this morning for your anointing to be upon this service. Anything that we're to do, anything that we're to say, we yield ourselves to you, Father. And we just ask you to show us what we're to do, what we're to say, and we will do exactly what you show us, Father. With your grace and with your anointing, we'll do and be and say and everything that you want us to do, Father. We just ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Good job, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I guess you can tell somebody's missing again. He's been going lots and lots and lots. I think he flew every day last week. And so uh, I think the up and downness of the air, it'd be like 100 degrees in some of the places he went. And then he'd go up in the air and it's like minus 50 degrees and He'd get hot and cooled off, and so this morning he got ready to go, and he said, I don't think I should probably go, because he couldn't say a whole lot. So, uh, so he left it with us since at about 7.35 this morning. <laughs> yeah, service started at 9, you know. <laughs> Plenty of time for the Holy Ghost. But I think Dave and I, I told Dave last night... Last off, I said, you know what, I probably better get quiet. And he said this morning, he said, you know what, felt like we was going to have to do it today. So, you know, if you listen to the Holy Ghost, he'll have you ready. So uh, just stay prayed up, ready to go. But I didn't get anything last night. I was rebellious, I think. But anyway, no. No, I just thought it would be better just to stay ready. You know, sometimes just getting quiet will get you ready. So, But anyway, we'll do what the Lord tells us to do in here today, and it'll be good, and He'll tell us what He needs to say, and we'll do our best to yield to Him, and you'll do your best to yield to Him, right? And uh, we'll hear from God, because that's where all the answers come from anyway, you know. No man has the answers. Unless we hear from God, it's useless anyway, you know. Sometimes people want to come in for counseling and stuff, and I'll tell David, ain't no need. I don't have anything to tell them. Nothing I say is going to help them. Unless you hear from God, it's useless. So uh, that's what we want to do this morning. So uh, in thinking about it, something came up on my heart, and uh, we shared it first service, and we'll share it again now. I was thinking about what we were going to share, and I thought about these stories about this guy that went to Ramah. And uh, he had been preaching in a denomination for years and years and years. And uh, But when he got out of Ramah, I, I don't know what happened to him. Uh, they tell stories about him and, and said... Uh, uh, his wife and several of the ministers and stuff were ready to put him, I think, in a mental institution. They'd say, just pray for him. He's, he's gone off the deep end because he started doing some of the funniest things. But it, he really didn't. They just thought he did because he got filled with the Holy Ghost and stuff, you know. But, uh, but before he did that, he uh, got saved. And as soon as he got saved, he'd get in the pulpit. And he hadn't been saved but just a few days. And he'd get up there and he'd start preaching to the people about... They're smoking habits. And he'd say, uh, you got people in this church? And he'd pace the floor and he'd say, and you got the blind leading the blind. The mamas and the daddies telling their kids not to smoke and they smoke in their self. He said, and the deacons are coming in here and putting out their cigarettes right at the side of the church. He said, I don't know. He said, I think the pastor himself smokes. You know? He said, they all go into hell. 
I mean, he just preached them all just right into hell. And uh, one day, one of the guys from in the congregation said something back to him, and he just yelled at him. He said, just meet me outside. We'll just, we'll just take care of this right after the service. <laughs> I mean, he was a case. But anyway, I don't think he really was helping people a whole lot that way. You understand the point, you know. He was just preaching them all right into hell. And then uh, I know you remember Doc Horton. He was here, you know, a while back, him and Jerry. Well, he kind of did the same thing, you know. And uh, he went out to the East Coast. And, and uh, he was in a church out there and hadn't been in the ministry very long. And, and uh, he two things he did. He preached against red lipstick, and the next thing he knew, his wife walked in and tried out something new she had on red lipstick. <laughs> and uh, I think I've done that to Keith a few times. But anyway, <laughs> preach against something, and I'm doing it, you know, like submission and that kind of thing. But anyway. Um, but he was preaching against smoking and this kind of stuff, and he was just coming down on it, you know. And he wasn't realizing, I mean, that where he was at was tobacco-growing country. And everybody in the church grew tobacco. And he was just getting nothing in the offerings. Just nothing. And so the pastor finally told him, he said, you know what? He said, uh, one of the guys came to me and he said, uh, Pastor, now we give, except we know, you know, this preacher, he probably don't want none of our backer money. So uh, we just don't have nothing else to give but this backer money, you know. So uh, he was just preaching them all right into hell. Well, preaching people into hell ain't going to help them a whole lot. I think people pretty much have their own path right going into hell on their own. You know? So uh, what I want to talk to us about this morning is preaching people right out of hell. You know? So uh, if anybody can figure out why I've kept Dave, then y'all let me know after the service. Um, I'm not going to look at him and see, say anything, but... He, after all the things he said this morning, he said enough. Um, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 4.23. So I want to talk about what Jesus did, not about what these guys did, because I don't think it's a wise thing just to be ready to preach people into hell. Because I don't know about you, but most people already know what they're doing wrong. Most people have already condemned themselves for what they're doing wrong. Most people are already very, very, very aware of the wrongs that they're doing. And they don't need people to tell them how wrong they are for what they're doing. What they mostly need is somebody to help them get them out of the wrongs they're doing and back on another road so that they can come out of the wrongs that they're doing and into some better things and into some gooder things, as Dave said, you know, and into some blessings and out of the hurts and out of the pains and out of the discomforts that they're in and into some good things. So that's what I want to talk about this morning for just a few minutes. So Matthew 4.23, and the guys are going to love me because I can hear this earring keep tapping against my microphone. So tap on. Matthew 4.23, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. 
Now, I know everybody has heard this before, but what does gospel mean? Good news or good message. That's what the gospel is. It's the good news or the good message. Let's read it out of the NIV because I think that's what most of you probably have is most people don't carry King James anymore. But um, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news. How many of you's Bible say good news? Look at the hands. I'd say over half the crowd says good news. So Jesus went about preaching good news to people. Didn't say he went about telling them about all their sins and all their faults and all the things that they were doing wrong and didn't say he went about telling them, you know, you're going to hell today, straighten up, fly right. He went about preaching the good news. So what were some of the things that he preached? It's real simple. Let's find out. Isaiah 61. In the NIV, please. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Now, what is good news to the poor? You lazy bum. If you just get up and get a job. You're no good. The reason that you're poor is because of this and because of that. And if you'd just tithe, you wouldn't be poor anymore. Huh? If you'd go to church, you wouldn't be poor anymore. Huh? Okay. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release of darkness to prisoners, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those that mourn, to to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty, maybe that's what Dave needs, instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now tell me, What do you need? Surely it falls into one of these categories. Poor, healing, revelation, something. Freedom, answers. So Jesus came to give us all these things in the good news. Not one of these says bad news. All of them say good news. Now, what happens when people get good news? What happens to them? They have victories. They have excitement. They have Like Friday night testimonies. They have peace. They have recovery. They have solutions. They have answers. They have the things that they need. But what happens to people 
when people come in and they give them a bunch of bad news. Who wants to be, which, which one do you want to be around? The person that, say, Jim is constantly coming around. He's telling you all of his troubles. Oh, we can't pay our light bill. Oh, our dog is sick. Oh, like I said, this is the first service. The cat's losing all its fur. You know. Oh, you know. The rug is falling apart. Oh, mama's sick and daddy's got arthritis and, you know, the job is just driving me crazy. And that's all he does every time you're around him is bad news. But then you get around Connie and she's like, oh, the cat was losing his fur, but it's getting better. We're just confessing over it, you know, and the dog's getting better all the time. And Jim was working lots of hours, but we just believe in they're going to settle down. She's telling the same story he's telling. But she's putting a, a different light on it. Which one of them do you want to be around? Send Jim home, right? You want to hear the good news. Well, it's like I, I said, for service, what about if you go to a business or a restaurant? And we've been to some like this, you know. We, we're, we've been sitting there eating. It's not in Branson, rest assured. But... I mean, I have been sitting there, and I've seen two or three roaches crawl across the table while we were eating. I've been in other restaurants where I've seen rats crawl across the floor. Now, do I want to give a good news report about those places to anyone? But what if you go to a restaurant, and you go in there, and they get you right in the door? And the food, I mean, the server comes up and just waits on you. She's got a big smile on her face, and she's happy. And she don't mind if you change your order three times, and you know. And uh, the kids are screaming, and, and it's okay. And, and uh, uh, you, you specialize everything that you order, and that's still okay, you know. And, uh, I mean, I don't do that, but anyway, but, you know. Uh, uh, you know, and she gets your order right. And she brings it out on time, and, and uh, the food is hot, and it's delicious, and, and everything is perfect, and the bill is right when you get it, and, and the service is just wonderful, and the place is immaculately clean, and, and then you get the bill, and it's about 50% less than what you thought it would be for that kind of thing. What are you going to do? You're going to tell everybody, so the next time you go, it'll be a crowd there anyway. But anyway, you tell all these people. But you're going to tell everybody how good it was. So why does the devil do his best to keep you from having good news stories to tell? Why does he do his best? To keep the fur coming out of the cat. To keep you sick. To keep you poor. To keep you down, or as Dave says, never let you smile. Why does he do that? It's more than just about you. He wants to ruin your witness. Because whether you know it or not, you're set here for more than just you. And most people forget that every day. 
You are a witness every day of your life with your life. Whether you're a good witness or you're a bad witness, you're a witness. It's like I told the youth one night, I went in there and we were talking about being a witness and I just went in there and I just took my books and I threw them off of the floor like this, you know, and they just looked at me. I said, was I a witness just now? And they went, yeah. I said, a good one or a bad one? And they said, well, a bad one. I said, well, I was mad at Karen today too and I was mad at this one today too and I just let them have it. I said, was I a witness? And they said, yeah. A good one or a bad one? They said, well, a bad one. I said, well, what kind of witness were you today when you threw your stuff in the floor? Or you threw your stuff out of your locker? Or you snapped at that person? Or you were ugly to that person? Or you threw your lunch tray down? Now, that's them. What about you? What kind of witness were you when you threw that stuff on the grocery store, whatever that thing is, conveyor thing, because that person had seven items instead of five? Or they cut in front of you in traffic. You're a witness. You're either a good one or a bad one. Now, if your life is going good, what do you have a tendency to be? A lot better witness. Right? But if things are going bad, what do you have a tendency to be? A very bad witness because you lose your smile. And you take it out on everybody around you. And they pay the price for what's going on in your life. And you don't really want to preach to them any good news. You don't want to preach to them anything. You just want them to leave you alone and let you go about your own life. Well, God didn't set us here to go about our own life. Sometimes that's what I want. I just want to go, just deal with it. Leave me alone. I don't want to be a minister today. I don't want to be a pastor today. I don't want to be in anything today. Just leave me alone. But you know what? I was just a witness. Because whoever I was doing that with, whether it was Tara or whether it was Jill, she's usually around, or whether it was Dave or Rob or whoever it was, they're still people. And whether it was you with your spouse or whoever it was, they're still a people. So we have a job to do. What did Jesus do? He preached good news to them. Now, we, when we tell it, we should be telling the good news. Look at what Jesus did. Matthew 11, verse 4. Jesus replied, this is the NIV again, guys. They're so sharp. Look at them. They already had it up there before I even told them. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear, what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. Now, let me ask you a question. What if... I said, Ty, go back and report what Jim's doing. Is it good reports or is it bad reports? 
What if there's somebody following you around and Jesus says, go give a report on them? Are blind eyes open? Are they preaching the gospel with their lives? Are people getting their finances? Are people getting healed? Are people getting ministered to? Are people getting saved? Are people getting depressed because they're around them? Which one is it? Good news or depression? We're living one or the other just with our lives. And the devil is not dumb. He wants to keep us living the bad news life so we never tell anybody the good news stuff. That's his whole point in it. It's not just to keep you down. It's so that you don't want to tell anybody. I said this uh, first service, and I'll say it again. Friday night, during the service, when Dave was doing the end about praying for people for healing and stuff, we had a lady. And I mean, she could not, her and her husband could not wait. I think it was her telling him to text us. But before, I think Dave almost got out of the door, they were texting him and saying, her ears were open. She's mostly been uh, reading lips and stuff. And during the service, her ears were open. And she could hear the music was so loud, she had to take her, put her fingers in her ear because she could hear. This happened Friday night. Well, that was a good report. And she didn't wait to tell anybody. Now, if it would have been a bad report, do you think she'd have been texting us? Something bad would have happened? No, but those good reports should be happening for everybody all the time. If you get a new house, what do you want to do? You get a new car, what do you want to do? Ladies get new clothes, what do they want to do? They want to show and tell. Not just tell, they want to show and tell. They get new shoes. Show and tell. Well, that's the way it should be with the gospel. We should not only just be telling, we should be showing. People should be able to look at our expressions on our face, and I just know that that girl, because I know her pretty well, she's a pretty uh, full-of-life person, when that happened, you could see it on her face that something happened to her. Well, you can't hide things when they happen to you in your life if they're good, if good things are happening in your life. Well, they should be happening for us all the time. Good things. But why aren't they happening for us? Because we're dwelling on and preaching on and condemning on and saying bad things, not only to others, but to ourselves. We're preaching the bad news to our own selves, not just other people preaching it to us. So Jesus preached it. His apostles preached it. John preached it. Philip preached it. What did they preach? They preached Acts 5, the good news. Luke, John preached the good news. Uh, Philip in Acts preached the good news. Um, in Acts again, Philip preached the good news. Paul and Barnabas preached the good news. Others preached the good news in Acts why did people go to all the apostles and all the disciples? Because they knew they were going to get bad news? 
Are you going to people that give you bad news? Who are you going to have a tendency to go to? Okay, don't raise your hand. But how many of you have parents that you stay away from because all you hear them do is complain? Don't raise your hand. I see the smiling faces and they're going. Don't put the camera on them. Their parents may be watching. And then they complain because you don't come because... Don't nod either. They may see you on camera. (laughs) But you see what I'm saying? There's people that just complain and give you the bad news so much that you don't want to be around them. Who do you want to hang around? People that are constantly encouraging you, building you up, telling you good things. They know you messed up. They know you ain't right. Like, I know Dave ain't right sometimes. <laughs> I know it. But I just nod my head. and It's like Tara says, sometimes you have to ignore the first thing he says and go on, you know. <laughs> no, Dave's a good guy most of the time. We, we like to pick on him because he can take it so well. But anyway, you get around people that are going to say good things. You don't want to be with people that are the mully grubs. Unless you have yielded to the mully grubs, then you like to hang around those kind of people. Because then you fellowship with those kind of spirits. And you hang in the mully grubs, and you're going to be a mully grub witness. And what kind of witness is that for Jesus? You reckon he hung in the mully grubs much? I don't think so. I think he'd pick you up, put you over here, right out of him, up higher. So if Jesus preached the good news and all the disciples and the apostles and everybody else preached the good news, then what should we do? But what do so many people do? They don't do that. Turn to John 3, verse 17. So many people don't do this. This is what Jesus did. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How many people you know that you get around them And immediately you feel condemned that you didn't give enough or you didn't do enough or you're not doing enough or you, whatever the case is. You're not working enough or you're not doing this enough or does that build you up to do more? It's not going to. But somebody that gives you good news that your bills can be paid. You can come out of that hole. Don't you want to be around them, especially if you don't have the money to pay your bills? Get you a faith buddy that says, all right, we can do this. God's the supplier of our needs. He meets all of our needs according to his riches and glory. We have enough. We always have enough. We've given, and it's coming back to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It doesn't matter what it looks like, but we're going over the top. We'll always have enough. His grace is sufficient for us. We can do this. We can stand. 
Greater is he that's in us. What are you going to go away from that person feeling like? With your head up. But you go to another person, you say, and they say, well, you know, you shorted your tithes just a little bit. I looked at your check, you know, and, and uh, you ain't been given like you should. I've been watching you, you know, and, and you need to repent. You need to get that right. What are you going to feel like when you go away? Are you going to have any confidence to be believing God? There are things that you need to straighten out, but don't you think you knew you shorted God already? You should probably fix it. God's not going to make you fix it, but you should probably fix it. But you probably already knew that, right? So get around the person that helps build you up. Then you probably won't do that other thing again, right? We'll, we'll believe you won't. John eight ten. When Jesus came, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, What? You condemned too bad. That's too bad of a sin. You're going to hell. Straight. Do not pass go and do not collect $200. Cuz that's adultery. And don't you know what adultery is? It's in a category all by itself. You can't get forgiveness for that. Is that what he said? He said, "Neither do I." condemn thee so if Jesus doesn't condemn somebody for their sin where do we get off condemning somebody for their sin are we a greater judge because we've never missed it than Jesus I don't think so. What would be the better thing to do to somebody that had really messed up? Do you think that they would love you more if you said, you sinner, you adulterer, you are going to hell. Get out of my sight. Or if you said, you know what? Jesus forgives adultery. He forgives lying. He forgives stealing. He forgives smoking. He forgives drinking. He forgives all sin. You know what? I'll pray with you. You can go on. Start anew. The blood. Bigger than any of that. It'll wash you white. It'll clean you right up. Takes about that long. Which one do they? you think they're going to like better? You think you're going to have somebody that might get into heaven quicker with the first one or the second one? Well, what did Jesus do? Did he say, you know what, if I tell her that I don't condemn her, then she's just probably going to go right back out of here and get in bed with somebody else. So I better, I better tell her she's messed up really bad. 
and judge her and make her do some things to make her realize how bad she sinned. Because she's just liable to walk out of here and do it again. She needs to understand how bad she messed up. Is that what he said? That's not what he said. He said, I don't condemn you either. I love you. Go and don't do it anymore. So what should we do? What is the good news to an adulterer or to a drug addict or to a drunkard or to a liar or to a thief? What is the good news to them? The blood can wash you white as snow and you can be changed just that quick. That's the good news. Now, what they do after that's between them and God. But it's not your job to condemn them. Or mine. First John 3, 19. And hereby we know that we are of a truth and shall assure our hearts before him that if our heart... Because I know nobody in here ever had their heart condemn them, condemn us. God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. So if your heart condemns you, Who's bigger? The condemnation or God? Well, now, you couldn't tell it sometimes by looking at people's face. Because the condemnation has weighed them down for so long because of things that they've done and the things that people have told them. You think Sarah felt condemned when she laughed when the Lord told her she's going to have a child? Bet she did. Reckon how long it took her to get over that condemnation. Must not have took too long. Can't stay in condemnation. You'll stifle yourself. You'll never be able to believe God for anything in condemnation. Your head will stay like this. Your finances will drain. Your healing will drain. Your confidence will drain. God is greater than anything you've done with his blood. And he can fix it. But you got to let him. You have to let him. You have to choose. You have to choose the good news that God will forgive you and you don't have to live in condemnation. Or you can live in condemnation because some people like that place because it's a pity place. But you do have to choose. Because, again, you are a witness of the good news. Or you are a witness of the bad news of this God you're serving. People see this God you're serving on you. And they see if he's good or they see if he's bad by who you are. And the good news is... 
you're smiling and you, your, your ears just opened up, what kind of face are you going to have? Joyful. If you just had a debt canceled, what kind of face are you going to have? Joyful. If all your bills are paid, what kind of face are you going to have? Joyful. If your body is healed and your kids are happy, what kind of face are you going to have? Joyful. So then why shouldn't we have all those things? We should. We should have exactly all those things. Romans 5. Therefore, as by 5.16, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to justification of life. Let's read it in the New Living, and I think you'll get it a little clearer. It says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So it doesn't matter how bad you've sinned, like Adam sinned, who can bring you new life and freedom from condemnation? His one act can put you in right standing with God. Then you can bring the good news by the way you look. Look at um, Proverbs 15.30. In the NIV. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Now... We were talking about Jim and Connie. We'll pick on them some more. If Jim goes around and tells all of his sad stories to everybody, what kind of look is he going to have on his face? Sad, pitiful little look. Yeah, poor thing. Pitiful little him. Is anybody going to want to listen to him? But Connie comes up with a big smile on her face, happy and carefree. Is she going to draw people to her naturally? It's going to happen. Then what's the following second half of that verse? Good news brings health to the bones. So her good news is going to bring health to other people. It doesn't necessarily just mean physical health. It can bring Financial health, it can bring children health, it can bring wisdom health, it can bring answers. But her good news can encourage somebody else that if she can get over it, they can get over it. And they're going to be much more likely to come up and talk to her than they are him. They're going to run him off. Unless they want to be in the mully grubs with him. So Mark 16 says, verse 15, says he told them, You're to go, this is the Living Bible, into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. Now, we were talking about the adulterous lady and the lady that, or the people that might drink or the people that might do drugs. Now, surely out of everybody, everyone in the world, everywhere, surely somebody needs to be preached into hellfire and brimstone. Because they've messed up so bad. 
Well, this says preach the good news to them. So when is it okay to preach somebody condemnation? When is it okay to preach condemnation to yourself? Never. Are you an everyone? Are you an anywhere, everywhere? So you shouldn't preach it to yourself, nor should you preach it to anyone else. I think everybody's done it at some point or another. They felt like, well, they need to hear this. Don't you think they probably already knew it? Because the devil is right there to condemn you immediately. He's good at that. And the biggest thing that you need is somebody to help you get over the condemnation instead of get you deeper into condemnation. Do you have more trouble getting out of condemnation or into condemnation? How many of you ever had any trouble getting into condemnation? I don't see one hand. Doesn't take long to get into condemnation. How many of you ever had any trouble getting out of condemnation? Every hand in the place. So we should go to the flip side of the ditch on the other side and help people get out of condemnation, preaching the good news to them instead of the bad news to them. I know I told this first service, and I want to tell it again. Um, Go ahead and put up that verse, Matthew 12, 20. Oh, it's been 30 years ago. Keith and I were, Keith was first year, Rama. I wasn't in school at the time. But we went to a meeting, um, and a lady called me out, and she's, she quoted this verse to me. And I didn't really understand it at the time. I was raised uh, Catholic, and I didn't really understand much of anything about the word when Keith and I first got married, and he was in Bible school. And uh, it took me years and years to even understand much of the word at all and um, but I just kind of like what you know to do if you don't understand something just put it on the shelf but and I didn't try to make it come to pass a lot of people get a prophecy about something and it's like they start studying it out and they start living it and trying to push it and make it come to pass and fit their life into the box of the prophecy I just (coughs) forgot it but as my life went on I began to see how that this prophecy, and the Lord reminded me of it probably after we started the church. I had totally forgotten about it until then. And um, the Lord reminded me of it. And I told Keith about it. And he said, you know, that's exactly right. But the middle part of that verse says, and a smoking flax, a bruised reed, uh, he'll not break. And a smoking flax, this was the part that she emphasized, he will not quench. And she said, you're like that verse. Put it up in the Amplified. Maybe they'll understand it a little better, too, as I read it. A bruised reed he'll not break, and a smoldering, dimly burning wick he'll not quench. And she said, you're very much like that. She said, your heart is very much that way, that you'll see people throughout your life that are just about to quit, and you'll fan the flame to keep them from burning out. And I never really did anything with it until we really started the church. And it's like, I know youth is very much that way. People, sometimes they'll they'll push them aside or they'll cast them away. And I'm like, I just crave them. And and I'll see somebody in the crowd here. And um, it's like, I want to get to them. Because you can tell that they almost are the castaways or something, you know. And 
if I could ever get to them, I, I, you know, and I know that you can turn their life around. And I've always said the church was almost like the church of the second chance because there's been so many people that have been castaways from other places. And God doesn't throw anybody away. And it's never too late. And you cannot mess up too bad for God. And ask me how I know. And so um, it's never too bad that God can't fix it. Never. You've never done something so bad that the blood can't wash it and God can't help you fix it and faith friends and people can't encourage you to get past it. Never. And so if you know people like that, that should be our calling here at the church. Instead of trying to see how many people we can throw out the door because they mess up, instead of trying to talk about them behind their back, we should be, oh, so they messed up? Let's huddle around them and fix them up. Let's put a Band-Aid on it. Like Jesus did. Fix the brokenhearted. So they're, they're messed up. Give them a cup of cold water. Do, do whatever we need to do. Let's fix them up. There's been many a night that we've had to come up here at midnight or, or whatever time it is because somebody messed up. Or go get somebody out of jail or go do this. Hey, I thrive on that. Because they messed up. Nobody ever messed up before? I like to sow mercy. Because when I sow it, I get to reap it. And you know what? You sow it, you get to reap it. But if every time you see somebody mess up, the first thing you do is run to somebody and go, Did you... Oh, that's some bad seed. You might want to be sowing some mercy and say, you know what? Let's get over there and help them out. So they messed up. Let's help them get it fixed. Let's get them back on the right track. Let's love them past it. I never told a lie before. I never, I forget, I was telling Dave something the other day. And he said, well, you never exaggerated before. I went, hush. <laughs> well, it's true. It's real quick and easy to judge somebody and say something about somebody. But you really should just turn around and shine it right back on yourself. So what happens to a fire that's about to go out? If you take just a little bit of paper sometime and just fan that flame just a little bit, that flame will come up. Come up. And it will be a roaring fire before too long. And nothing can hardly put it out. And that person, how many people can they witness to and get saved and living for God? Because you took just a little bit of time and didn't put that wick out. You have a choice. Your words can put somebody out or they can put them over. And you may be the only person that comes in contact with them. Make it a choice in your life which one you're going to be. Are you going to be the good news person? Are you going to be the condemning person? You have to choose. And not only about another person, but about yourself. Are you going to preach the good news to yourself? Or are you going to live in the condemnation? Decide it for yourself. Let's stand up. You guys go ahead and sing that if you would.